If you would remain standing and turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. We're going to be looking at Exodus 19 through 40 this morning, uh, but we'll be reading Exodus 19 verses 1 through 20. It's Exodus 19 verses 1 through 20. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all people, and you shall set limits for, all the people, for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to, my, to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings, and a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. Wow. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. And as we have this incredible picture of what happened there at Mount Sinai in our minds, in our vision, uh, let us go before this incredible an amazing and mighty God in prayer. 
our most gracious God and our Father in heaven. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Well, it is good to be back with you after a couple of weeks hiatus. Uh, Stephanie and I and our family had a great time in Colorado. It seems we brought a little Colorado back with us. Sorry about that. Um, but uh, we had a great time, but it is, as always, good to be back uh, with uh, friends and family here. Um, while uh, over the last couple of weeks we've taken a little bit of a break from the Pentateuch, but now we are going back into it. Uh, we're studying the second half of the book of Exodus this morning, uh, looking at the law and the presence of God uh, through the tabernacle, um, focusing in particular on the law. So... I know that we're not really a, a call and response type congregation, uh, but uh, I've got a little exercise for us this morning. I'm going to say a statement, and I'm going to leave out the last word, and I'm going to ask you to fill it in for me, and let's see if we're on the same page here. All right, you ready? So rules were made to be broken, broken. Rules were made to be broken. Now, whether or not we believe this, this is what we hear often, rules were made to be broken. Now, if this was actually the case, why would we have rules then? If they were just simply made to be broken. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is the influence of, one, our simple nature, of course. Uh, it's the influence of our culture. Uh, but parents, especially the parents of teenagers, don't worry. We're not going to be teaching this morning that rules were meant to be broken. We're going to be teaching that rules were meant to be kept, not broken. Um, uh, over the last several weeks, as we've gone through the Pentateuch, uh, we've been seeing this big picture of what God is doing uh, throughout Scripture and in our lives even today. We see that God is the King, that He is establishing His kingdom over a hostile world, all for His glory. In Genesis, we saw that God is our King, that He created the world, including human beings, for His glory. And that the king has entered into a relationship with his people through his covenant. And that it was God's doing. And last time when we were looking through the book of Exodus, we saw how God the king rescued his people out of bondage to slavery. And he set them on a trajectory to their own land, to his kingdom. And today we're going to see that God has established order in his kingdom through the gifts of his law and of his presence. So I have given you a sheet as well with uh, lots of blanks in there. Uh, we'll be going through that. You can fill in those blanks either this morning or throughout this week uh, as an overview of Exodus 19 through 40. So as the Israelites leave Egypt and are heading towards the promised land, usually what you would do is take the path of uh, you know, shortest distance. You know, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Well, God didn't have that in mind for the Israelites. So instead of, of heading northeast into the Promised Land, they headed southeast into the Sinai Peninsula. Uh, they headed there until they reached Mount Sinai. 
And as we read this morning, when they got there, a cloud covered the mountain, which symbolized God's presence. He was there with His people. And Moses spoke with God on top of the mountain, and God gave him the Ten Commandments. We, uh, we, we went over those Ten Commandments this morning with the children. The first four are with our relationship to God, the first table. Uh, the second half, uh, five through ten, of our relationship between each other. And these commandments helped God's people understand how they were supposed to live in God's kingdom. This is very important. So God made a covenant with His people, and He said, uh, and He gave them requirements. And these requirements we find in the Ten Commandments and in others. If they followed God's laws, as we read this morning, they would be blessed. If they did not, there would be punishment. There would be judgment. And these were the terms of the covenant that God makes with His people. Well, you know the story. The Israelites showed immediately how difficult it is to keep God's commandments. Because while Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments, they were breaking number two and number one uh, of these commandments. Uh, They got Aaron to build them a golden calf while Moses was still on the mountain. And when Moses came down, he was so angry with what they had done that he took these tablets that God had given them and he smashed them. Uh, Moses then later returned to the top of the mountain where God gave him the Ten Commandments again a second time. But while Moses was up on the mountain, God did another thing. He gave him very specific instructions on the tabernacle, on how this tabernacle, this this dwelling place of God, was to be built and all its furnishings. And it was divided into three sections. We have the courtyard, which is the outer section. We have the holy place and then the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was to rest. And uh, these furnishings in the, in the temple, uh, excuse me, in the tabernacle included the Ark of the Covenant, the lampstand, the table uh, for the bread of the presence, the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offerings. What we need to know about the tabernacle is that it symbolized God's presence on earth. When the tabernacle was built, God's presence through the cloud descended on the tabernacle. The same thing with the temple. When this, the temple was dedicated by Solomon, the presence of God through this cloud filled the temple uh, and was the symbol of His presence here on earth. And uh, as we talked about already this morning, God gave us the Ten Commandments. He gave the Ten Commandments to His people because He loves us. Jesus summarized the Ten Commandments by instructing us to love God above everything else and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So this morning we're going to be looking at specifically two things, uh, God's presence through the tabernacle and the gift of the law. Uh, Honestly, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on God's presence this morning. Um, I I decided that we were going to spend more time uh, focusing on the law. But life in the kingdom of God was characterized by the fact that God was present with them. And this is incredible. Uh, When they left Egypt, they left being led by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night, symbolizing that God was leading them out. He was with his people. Later on in the New Testament, in the book of John, we see that Christ came to be with us 
to literally tabernacle with us, as it says in John chapter 1. The Word became flesh and came to dwell with us. God's presence was present in Christ, and He is even present with us today through the power of the Holy Spirit. God is with us. Uh, I would love to go into more depth about the presence of God because it is something that is just an incredible gift that He has given to us. Um, uh, I did write an article for the newsletter. I don't know if it made it into this one or if it's next one. Next one. Uh, so uh, next month when the newsletter comes out, there'll be an article about the presence of God because it is something that is, that is key, that is uh, a gift that he has given to us. Uh, but this morning we're going to focus on the law, on God's law. So how do we feel about the law? As we said already this morning, rules are made to be broken, right? Uh, we don't always have a high view of the law. Uh, we don't really like rules or being uh, restricted, but God's laws are good, and they are good for us. And we're going to look at the three uses of the law this morning. We're just going to go through them one by one to answer the question, why did God give the law to the people? Why did he bring them to Mount Sinai instead of going very quickly up into the promised land? Why did he bring them down to Mount Sinai? Why did he give them the law there? So he gave them uh, for three uses. And um, first we're going to look at the civil use. Now we need to be thinking in terms of the kingdom of God here. Uh, we've been looking at Genesis and Exodus, thinking in terms of the kingdom. God gave his law to his people to show them how life in God's kingdom worked best. Life in God's kingdom worked best when you had no other gods before God, when you did not make for yourself an idol, when you honored his name, when you honored the Sabbath, when you honored your parents, when you didn't kill or commit adultery or, or steal or lie or covet. This is how God's kingdom ran uh, smoothly. This is how life worked best both then and, and today. And God, since He is the Creator, since He is the King, He has the right to determine how life works best in His creation. And so He set a system in place that will maintain order in His kingdom. Living in a land that doesn't have order, that doesn't have laws or rules, is not ideal. How nice that may sound. Oh, living in a place where there's no rules. The judges lived in a place where there was no rules, where everyone did as they saw fit. And if you've been studying the book of Judges, you know what happens. Uh, imagine a court system without any laws where you weren't required to tell the truth. What would that be like? Well, honestly, if we didn't have any laws, there wouldn't even be a need for a court system because there wouldn't be any requirements. And how could you hold anyone guilty or punish someone where there were no laws. What happens is that everyone does simply what they please. But God gave the law in order to maintain order in his kingdom. Now, we had a little disorder in our family to make a little light of this. Um, when our kids were uh, younger, we were going through cups like they were going out of style. It seemed like there would be just a just a, a sink full of cups every single day, from kids getting cups 
and another cup and taking a drink and putting it in the sink. So Stephanie and I finally determined we're done with washing all these cups. We're going to get the kids one. So we got them a little Nalgene bottle. Elliot's got a blue one. Oliver's got a green one. Maddie Grace has a pink one. And Abigail, even though she doesn't use it all that much, we already got her one. She's got a purple one. So they have their, 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 their water bottle. And they are required to keep that water bottle. So if they want to drink, they have to find their water bottle. If their water bottle is empty, they have to fill it. Um, if they come to, to dinner and they don't have their water bottle, they got to go get it. <laughs> and that happens almost every mealtime. <laughs> but it helps us to maintain order. And it gives them a sense of responsibility. They have their water bottle, and that is the rule in our house. You keep track of it, you fill it up, it is yours. And now we do not have a sink full of cups anymore. We're thankful for that. And this is what the law does. It maintains order. What it also does is to protect the weak. Because everyone is equal under the law. We aren't allowed to take advantage of the poor or those who are less fortunate. The rich and the powerful aren't exempt. They aren't allowed to take advantage of others. Obviously, this is the ideal. This isn't what always happens. We live in a simple world. But the law is also there to protect the weak. So as Israel travels from Egypt to the promised land, God gives them the law. He answers the question for them, how are we to live in a way that pleases God? Well, here it is. This is a way to maintain order in the kingdom. But this isn't the only use of the law. Not only does the law maintain order, the civil use of the law, but the law is also our teacher. We call this the pedagogical use of the law. As we talk about this, we need to remember this simple fact, that it has always been and always will be salvation by the grace of God. The giving of the law seems to contradict this. It seems to contradict the grace of God. But we know that Abraham believed, as it says in Genesis, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It doesn't say that Abraham kept the law and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed and it was credited to him. The law came after God's covenant with Abraham. So it wasn't God's grace and then the law and then God's grace again when Jesus came. No, it has always been and always will be about the grace of God. So when God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, he revealed two things. And hopefully this is going to sound very familiar to you, especially those of you who are in missional community groups. He revealed two things. He revealed his own righteousness, and he revealed the unrighteousness of mankind. This is the gospel grid that I'm talking about. If you're going through the gospel-centered life, this is what the first several lessons are about. This uh, understanding of the gospel, that as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we have this greater understanding of the holiness of God. God doesn't become more holy. We understand His holiness to a deeper degree. And as we understand His holiness to a deeper degree, we have this greater and deeper understanding of our own sinfulness, the ways that we fall short of God. Well, the law does this for us. It shows us the righteousness of God, 
because it shows us his standards and how high they are and what he requires. The law shows us our own unrighteousness because when we try to align ourselves with the law, we see how woefully short we fall. So God, the king, gave the law so that his people would understand the depth of their own sin and turn to him in repentance. God wanted his people to acknowledge their own sinfulness. This is what happened when David was confronted by Nathan after he had sinned with Bathsheba. And then David writes the words of Psalm 51. It says, For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. God desires for us to acknowledge our own sinfulness as well. When we have a gr- this growing understanding of God's holiness and a growing understanding of our own sinfulness, which the law makes very clear, then what happens with this gospel grid is that we see the cross of Christ that bridges the gap between God's holiness and our own sin. And as those understandings become greater, the cross looms larger in our lives. But I'll admit, here is where my problem lies. And I'm, I'm certain that many of you can relate. I struggle to see the depth of my own sin. I struggle with that. You know, I read the Ten Commandments and I think to myself, honestly, you know what, I'm pretty good with these. Uh, I, I can handle these. I haven't made an idol recently, uh, at least not a golden calf. Uh, I strive to keep God first in my life. I I honor his name. I try to honor my parents. Uh, I don't lie or steal. Um, But in reality, um, I'm not that good. But what I'm saying to myself is that, you know what? I'm not that bad. I can keep these. But if you ever get to a point where you think this about yourself, all you need to do is read the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus pokes a hole in this theory. In fact, he blows this theory uh, completely away. Because what he says is this, You have heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Guilty. That's me. He also says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully or with lustful intent has already committed adultery with him with her in his heart. Guilty. And he goes on to say at the end of chapter five, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And when I read this verse, say, perfect? Like, that's your standard, God? Perfection? That's what you're going for here. And if that is the case, then thank God for the cross. Because that it's not a standard that I can uphold. Perfect is not something that I can ever attain. So God has given us the law so that we would understand that He is God, that we are not. We have the law so that we know that we are sinners and that we can turn to God 
in repentance. And we have the law so that we will see our need for Christ and come to appreciate what He has done. Now on a little side note, what this also means is that because the law reveals our sin, there's a couple of implications of how we deal with other people, especially people, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I think it's easier to come to God admitting our sins than it is to admit our sins to one another. Because when we admit our sins to God, this is what happens. We come to Him and we bow down at His feet. And we offer to Him what we have done. And when we're honest with Him, what He does is that He lifts us up. He dusts us off. He clothes us with the righteousness of His Son. And He calls us a son. He welcomes us into His family. What happens often when we summon up the courage to admit our sins to one another is that often we kick each other while we're down. When we hear the sins of others, usually we act in disgust or surprise or we say the dreaded words, oh, how could you? When those are not the words that God says to us. Now, obviously, we are not God. We are not perfect. We can never be. But if God reacts in compassion to us, shouldn't we show compassion to others in their sin? It's a very, very difficult thing to do. But this is what God is calling us to. So there is the civil use of the law. There is the pedagogical use where the law is our teacher. And there is the normative or the moral use of the law. Simply put, the law is our guide for living out a life of gratitude for what God has done for us. And this is where we're going to conclude this morning. Uh, If you keep reading through our passage this morning and you get to uh, Exodus 20, verse 2, uh, you'll read these words. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he proceeds to give the Ten Commandments. So following the Ten Commandments and God's other laws were the ways that Israel could show gratitude to God for what he had done for them. He had rescued them out of slavery. Therefore, he gave them the Ten Commandments. Uh, This is why the Heidelberg Catechism, in its divisions of its catechism between guilt, grace, and gratitude places the law in the part of gratitude. Yes, the law shows us our guilt, um, but it also is the way that we show gratitude to God by keeping His commands. Um, I remember graduating from high school and receiving lots of of really cool presents and uh, just a a lot of congratulations from, from people and just remember that being a very special time. But when the party was over and all the presents were opened, my mother had made me the list. You know what it was? It was the thank you card list, that dreaded thank you card list. And it was, it was long. I remember how long that was. Um, I'm not great at writing thank you cards. 
Uh, it seemed at that time to be a dreaded obligation. Some people are great at it, and I commend them for it. Uh, I'm usually a procrastinator, not because I don't see the value in the thank you card. It's a very valuable thing, but just because I struggle in the writing of them. Well, our response to God is like that thank you card. It's not an obligation. It is our joy and our privilege to be able to say thank you to God for what he has done by simply obeying his commands. The law is our gracious response to God's grace to us in Christ. It's not a dreaded obligation. It is a joyful privilege. And the reason that it is joyous because of how Christ summarized the law for us. He summarized it by saying, love. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And in John chapter 13, Jesus gave his disciples a new commandment. But in reality, it's the commandment of old. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So as we conclude this morning, God's laws are not made to be broken. He didn't give us his rules so that we could break them. Quite the opposite, they were made to be kept and be kept perfectly. And while we fall short every single day, Jesus did keep them perfectly. And this is the good news of the gospel. God, because of his great love for us, accepts the righteousness of Christ on our behalf when we put our faith and trust in Christ. Instead of trying to be good so that God will love us and find us acceptable, we are set free to do good because of the fact that we are already loved and accepted in God. And this is so important. We don't follow the law so that God will accept us. We are already accepted and loved in Christ. Therefore, we are set free to love God by following his law. So the theme for this morning isn't law, it is love. Understanding God's love for us in Christ. That He sent His Son to die for us. That God poured out His love on us. And then He gave us the law. The law came to them and it comes to us. Or God's love comes to us while we were yet sinners. And because of God's great love for us, we are free to love God and to love each other. So love God. That's the application this morning. Love God. Love Him with your whole heart, with your whole soul, with your whole mind, and with all your strength. Love Him above everything else. And what is not to love about God? He has made you. He cares about you. He died for you. He's watching over you. He's keeping you. He is always with you. He is always present with you, even in the valley of the shadow of death. God loves you. Don't be afraid to love Him in return. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
Love your neighbor at all times, when things are great and when your neighbor messes up, when it's easy and especially when it's hard. Love your neighbor by not judging them in your sin, but reaching out to them in compassion. Let us love one another by offering ourselves to each other and loving one another as Christ has loved us. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, we thank you for the love that you have shown to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would know that love and be able to share that love with others, that we would love you above all and love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, when we look at the law, help us to see our own sin, to be able to honestly admit who we are uh, to you and to each other. And I pray that we would show gracious compassion to one another uh, in our sin, uh, sharing with one another the gospel and the compassion that you have shown to us. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we go from this place, we would go uh, in love, loving you above all and our neighbor as ourselves. And we pray this in Jesus' name.